0: Welcome back to Next Scene Podcast, the podcast taking on pop culture, one scene at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And with me, as always, is the other host, Brian. All right. Welcome, Brian. And today we have with us a very... we got? <laughs> we, got a very spe- we got here? What do we got? We got a very special guest um, all the way from Bat Minute, Bat Minute Returns, Bat Minute uh, for- Forever, Bat and Robin. Uh, it's our great friend, Niall McGowan. Welcome, Niall. Don't say a word to me, Sean.
1: Don't say one fucking word to me. I'll get up and I'll bury this microphone in your head. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it is That's, me. It's yeah. Niall <laughs> McGowan from Batman. All right. Well, I just came off as Very the most hostile guy. guest straight off the game. Yeah, okay. All right.
0: So it's going to be that kind of podcast. today. Um, well, listener, if you haven't guessed from uh, from that introduction, uh, we're here to talk about uh, Midnight Run. Midnight Run, the 1988 Buddy Road crime film, uh, the film that Alan Steppenwall of the Rolling Stone magazine calls the Casablanca of Buddy comedies. Uh, it's written by George Gallo. A New Jersey. Yeah, by a New way. Jersey. A New, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. uh, written by George Gallo, directed by Martin Brest, uh, score by our, our good friend Danny Elfman, who's uh, written a musical piece or two in, in his time, uh, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Uh, So the particular scene that we're going to be talking about today starts about uh, an hour 19, 30 seconds into the film. Uh, We reach a a small stop. Uh, Jack Walsh and uh, Jonathan, the Duke Mardukas, pull into uh, some small western town, I'm assuming uh, New Mexico, um, in a stolen truck. John asks to, or Mardukas asked to, to borrow the stolen FBI badge that Jack's been carrying around. (laughs) <laughs> they, they they go into a dive bar posing as FBI agents looking for counterfeit money, um, and then the scene wraps up with uh, an armful of groceries that they've purchased with the quote unquote counterfeit bills, and then they hop a train. Mm.
1: And even even further shenanigans happen yeah. after that.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I mean, this was a tough one. It was it's kind of hard to narrow it down. We've got about a five minute, uh, five and a quarter minute chunk in this this scene but um, I mean the film is great from beginning to end which is one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I wanted to cover it and and one of the reasons and, and also covering with the theme of um, kind of the, the odd couple buddy movie which yeah. was kind mm-hmm. of uh, George the writer George Gallo kind of um, you know I, I don't know of his specialty he's done a wide range of things but in um, particularly this genre uh, so another film that you would be familiar with Niall is Wise Guys starring Danny oh, DeVito course. and Joe Biscopo. Um, so he wrote yeah. that, um, also wrote Bad Boys, uh, the buddy cop film starring Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, and uh, did a uncredited script revision of Analyze This with Robert oh. De Niro mm. and Billy Crystal. So um, this sort of... The guy works. Yeah, the, the guy works, and this sort of odd couple buddy film uh, seems to be
1: right up his alley. Oh. It's kind of weird, though, because I always thought it, it's still so bizarre to me that, like, because this is like midnight run to me is one of those ones that slipped under the radar to me in my i've seen it loads of times and then after like a couple of years i had the realization like oh i think this is like one of my favorite films like i didn't i, I didn't like yeah. you know from the first time i saw it i was like oh that was incredible But was after so many rewatches i was like yeah i'll put that in one of my favorite films of like all time and I only saw this film last year. Really?
2: Really? Oh,
0: wow! 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 Yes.
2: Yeah. So I, I, it completely was a blind spot for me. I didn't, so, well, what,
0: what do you, what did you
2: think of it? Oh, it was great. That's why I, okay. I think we we've, we've been talking about this for a little while, and I thought this was one of the ones that we could cover. I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it uh, twice. Okay. So okay. I saw it the first time last year, and then I recently re- rewatched it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's yeah, it's fantastic. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy to hear yeah. that it does work for modern o- audiences because you're always like, "Well, you came and watched <laughs> this when you're like a full-grown adult, and it's you know, it's not the 1980s or whatever. when it would still stand, but it's good to hear that it actually does. So, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, I think it, yeah, it it holds up for sure.
0: Yeah, it's got a, a certain timeless quality. I mean, I guess it's one of those films where you can right. tactically say, "Well, like if they had cell phones, it would, um, you know, which kind of changed the whole thing." Right. But I think it's great, yeah. and, and for me, it's. Yeah, one of my favorites, and it's one of those good, like, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon, you just flip on the TV, and no matter what point in the film it is, you can kind of
1: just slide in mm-hmm. and just kind of pick yeah, it up yeah. from from wherever you are. I think that, um. I think that's my thing. Like, I've seen it, like, dozens of times, but I think I might have only ever watched it through beginning to end, like, twice. <laughs> it's yeah. all, all the rewatches <laughs> have always been, oh, Midnight Run is on oh, it's 10 minutes in, or it's 45 minutes in, or it's an hour and a half in, but I'll watch the ending, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So,
0: um, Yeah, but- yeah. the same was, yeah, I started watching it earlier today, and it's one of those films where it's got an opening scene that I completely forget about, because like mm-hmm. you, yeah, usually just, I catch it, it just happens to be on TV, and I pick it up from wherever it is, mm-hmm. forgetting. Like, there's this opening introduction of, uh, you know, Jack picking up a... Um, uh, well, you know, you know, picking up a bounty and then Dorfman coming right. in and stealing from him and it kind of sets up, you know, and it sets up a lot of things. The repeating like the the rivalry between them and then Jack's kind of stunt of saying, you know, look over there. And then Dorfman getting suckered in and um, <laughs> <laughs> getting distracted like that all kind of, you know, of- a lot of that gets set up. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, it actually is like the, the opening like half an hour. I want to say, cause it's actually quite a long film. It's like two solid hours. Mm-hmm. I think that like, the first yeah. act is, is really low build. It's it, it, There's a kind of, it's almost a film of two halves where like, you like, it does take a time just like setting up who everyone is and getting to this point. And then, yeah, you don't know what kind of film it is. If you, if you like for watching it, you're not going to
2: know what type of a, like, Oh, this is a buddy comedy from the opening scene. Right. And it's, at least that's what I got.
1: Yeah. I don't know about yeah, that. Like the, the hour and 10, 70 minute mark. It's 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 so in high gear of just like oh this is like a zany caper now, but it's, it's sure, you've melded exactly, it into right. it where you're like oh I'm so invested in these relationships and stuff, and it's like uh, and it feels like oh yeah the I always have the the mentality of the whole movie is a Jack and the Duke. It's like no no they kind of I think they only kind of really get going at about forty minutes in. But it's like, it just takes its time getting there. You know? Right. And the, right. The, the actual zany caper side of it is just so strong that it's like, oh, that just dominates all your memories of it then. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. it pretty serious, I think. Yeah, I guess it's about an hour, 10. Like, the scene preceding this that kind of leads up to this when uh, when the Duke goes to steal the plane, you know, this guy who is, yeah. you know, this this malicious <laughs> accountant who is supposedly terrified to fly and all of a sudden he's yeah she's trying to steal a plane to get away like and then from here on out it's it's suddenly zany it kind of yeah switches gears after setting it up mm-hmm. um, and there's a quote Yafik koto who's not in the the five minutes we're focusing on today but it plays a fbi agent alonzo mosley he has said during filming he wasn't sure if he was in you know is this if he was in like a serious caper film or if he was in a comedy <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of the answer is well, yes, right. you know,
1: kind of, kind of both. Um, yeah. yeah. I, will, I will say too about that that scene with the plane, which is like I mentioned it in the green room before we started. Like, if, if someone was to just say the words "Midnight Run" to me. Like this scene, the end scene, and just the whole premise of Charles Groden faking being like terrified of flying, and then it turned out that he's actually a pilot later on, <laughs> is the, <laughs> the thing that immediately pops in my head. And I don't think I've ever been on a plane in my adult life. I've not been like holding back the the urge to shout like these things go down, these things go down. It's too big. It can't stay up. <laughs> um, I'm sure
0: the flight crew loves that. You know? Yeah, <laughs>
1: imagine like every time Charles yeah. Roden <laughs> took took a flight after 1988, he's probably getting like side eyed by people the entire time.
0: Yeah, wait, waiting for it. Um, yeah, it's a film That's kind the of lane, going with like,
1: <laughs> I Didn't want to, to, to interrupt, but like I just have to ask you guys because like. You got, I've not done a lot of international travel. I've not done a lot like most of the planes I get on are quite small. Have you ever been on a plane that has a flight of stairs in the middle of it? That's insane to me. <laughs> That's like so swanky, it's got a friggin' spiral staircase in the middle
2: of the plane. I've never been on it. I it's no, I've never. Sean, you?
0: I, I've 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 only seen that in movies and I don't know if it's a a seventies, yeah, eighties thing that like they just don't build planes like that anymore. Although that I mean planes usually stay in service for decades like this, you know, they last a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I've never seen that. And I've flown uh, a couple of times. I mean, I'm not super wealthy, but for, for business a couple of times I've, I've flown for work and they've sprung for the business class for international travel. <laughs> um, So yeah, I, I've seen like first class business class. I've seen the like modern day, like they've got the seats that go completely flat and turn into a bed. I've never seen mm-hmm. I've never seen stairs in a plane. I've never you know been that no. that level of luxury where there's multiple levels. So uh. it's a
2: flying house.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of felt like I was on the uh, opposite end of because um, one of the last times I recorded with you guys for this show was during um, planes, trains, and automobiles, which was like considering like the the, the the business class seats they get in this are like oh that is just like the height of opulence. And then the plane strange I was like that is the dingiest, crappiest looking plane yeah. in the history of mankind.
0: Yeah, we're far cry yeah. from. You uh, have
1: planes that look like that.
0: Yeah, we're far cry <laughs> from the you know Steve Martin in the middle seat getting hair, you know, in his brownie right. from the person in front of him.
1: <laughs> it would be great though if it did cut like after Charles Groen has his freak out, it just cuts to like a sleeping John Candy going like, "I bet my left nut we we ain't landing in." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Bro. But wait, I will say that before so, uh, we probably get get into it, though, like one of the great great tra- tragedies, though, of like the, as I was saying, because this is such a terrific film and it's so well directed. And then the Martin Press, <laughs> as you mentioned, the director, Sean, it's like he has only like a handful of credits and he hasn't worked in twenty years. Like, his last film was uh, Glee, which is the infamous J Lo and Affleck bomb. Yeah, like, I know it's a bad movie, but like well, yeah, directors make bad movies and they'll just get back up and make a good one after, you know? I don't know if it's, like, did that destroy him personally or something? Like, what the hell happened there?
0: Yeah, I, did, I didn't dig too far into, like, his personal history, but... He's made a lot of big movies. He's made a lot. I mean, nothing recent. Right, but looking at, uh, like, the movie before this and after so before this in 84, he does Beverly Hills Cop, which is huge. Uh, he does this in 88, and then 92 has Scent of a Woman, uh, which yeah. another big one. I mean, maybe not as big as Beverly Hills Cup, yeah. but uh, Pacino wins the Oscar, right? But, uh, you know, it uh, leads, directs an Oscar winning performance. Yeah, and introduces the world to that lovable ragamuffin, uh, Chris O'Donnell, who
1: I'm very familiar with as well. Yeah,
0: Chris O'Donnell, who would, who would go on to play Robin in uh, Batman yeah. and Robin. And
1: That's then, great. yeah,
0: yeah does, does Meet Joe Black in 98. And then the aforementioned Geely in two thousand three, and then
1: yeah, I know. Meet, Meet Joe Black got a lot of stick though. Stops working. Whether that was, I don't know. Maybe that was. Maybe he saw a decline. He was like, people really hated that Meet Joe Black, and then they really hated Geely. He's like, you know what? That's to stop. That's <laughs> to just walk away. <laughs> good yeah.
0: yeah.
2: He's due for something now. He should come he's, back
0: now. He's due. He's due.
1: Yeah. So is it, is Another there's interesting a threat of a Midnight Run too. Even though I know they made sequ- like straight to TV street- sequels with. <laughs> What with like Kevin Hart and The Rock? I think it's actually no, with, they're, they're talking about with De Niro and stuff, but um, uh, oh, a real one, yeah. yeah they were that's... talking about like, I don't think anything's
0: really happened for a year, but it was talking about uh, well, uh, De Niro producing, possibly coming in, you know, possibly making an appearance. Um, I also heard Regina Hall oh. was attached, oh, okay. Um, mm. so I don't know if he would be like the mentor and then she's the next generation of, of Bounty Hunter. I-
2: I could see
0: that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty so, yeah, sure 80, they 80, don't 80. intend it to be De Niro running around like he does it in, in The Irishman.
1: <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, they work um, seamlessly there, Sean. I'm like, what would be the problem? <laughs> <hell? laughs> the age of um, them, pretend it's 1988 again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's strange. So this is, I mean, it did okay. I guess the, the estimated budget on IMDb was $35 million. Uh, the published gross was $38 million. Uh, U.S. and Canada, and then 81 million worldwide. So, so not a hit, you know, not a, um, you know, not a not a level bomb, but not a Beverly Hills Cop level uh, blockbuster either. Um, but it had legs. It has legs. I mean, it had enough that it became. I mean, six years later. So in '94, the Nile alluded to there was actually a, a trilogy, three made for TV sequels. With Christopher O'Donnell, or sorry, Christopher McDonald, playing Jack Walsh.
1: Huh. All I available. like Christopher McDonald. They're all, they're all available on YouTube, actually. Was, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know all of all them. But some of them, at least one or two of them, are available on YouTube because I flick through. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, hmm. McDonald's playing Jack, but it also has uh, Edo Ross, who was, um, oh, you know him from like Six Feet Under and stuff. He's Marvin. Yeah. And then Dan Hedaya is the Joe. Dan Hedaya. Has, uh, yeah, he's a. As Joe the, um, the Bale, yeah. yeah. Eddie Moscone. Skip through. Gotta say, he's not got the fashion down. He's not got, like, one of the great things about. One of the, things that, one of the many things I love about this movie is Joey Pants's outfits. He's just mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, he's great. He's got going <laughs> on. And then Dan and I are just gonna dress in, like, a slightly jazzy shirt. And it's just like, come on, man. If You are going to do it. But the whole. The vibe, just from the little snippets of scenes I saw, it just seemed like this ain't it. Like, it's just. McDonald's not got quite the anger of De Niro. Hedaya, just—he's not playing the same character as Joey Pants at all. It seems like he's—he's just, he's just doing his own interpretation of it and stuff. And uh, I, I feel like they're all seem mm-hmm. to be rated around like four out of ten. So I'm kind of guessing, like, well, I mean, you know, but they made three of them, I guess. So somebody watched them. Finally, uh, <laughs> they're available on a DVD action pack uh, to lure in people's dads. I think to be like, oh,
0: yeah, just, just going by <laughs> the reviews and the the summaries, I did not seek out any of them. I'm like, they just don't seem like they're worth
1: watching. Oh, no. Um, I mean, it'll be just one of those things, too. Like, any attempt at a sequel as well, it's just like, just don't bother. Like, it's not going to, you're not going to nail it again. Right. <laughs> it's, yep. It's like a, yeah.
0: it'll, it'll,
2: it'll yeah, you a don't really need a sequel that on
1: something like this.
0: Well, and I think part of it, you know, we we talk about when we talked about Home Alone, we 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 spent a lot of time talking about lightning in a bottle. Just, you know, something yeah. that you couldn't recreate in any of the right. sequels. And I think part of it, you know, this was was some of that, and part of it is I think this is like the first comedy uh, or lighthearted role we get from Robert De Niro. And of yeah. course you would go, you know, go on to do things like analyze this and stuff like that. But this is this is he was coming off of the Untouchables. And was was looking mm-hmm. to do something lighter, looking to do comedy. And actually, I found out apparently he was uh, he was being considered for big, for the Tom Hanks role mm-hmm. in that. At this, you know, kind of around the time, and, and uh, you know, did this instead of that. But um, or that's, I mean, that's a much different the, film, um, I think.
1: That's one of the few things I know about um, the nearer life is that the, over here, there was a, kind of slightly before my time, but still very well-known film critic called Barry Norman. And he was, like, the guy who interviewed... He was, like, the, the biggest film critic in the UK. And he did all the interviews and stuff like that. And I remember seeing an interview with him post his retirement. They're saying, like, so you met, like... Did you have any proper, like, run-ins, like, like bad run-ins with celebrities? And De Niro was one of them. And it was about that. Like, at one point, he brought up, like... So I understand you were going to go do big... And then you just passed on it and de niro just went very silent apparently he was just like yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah let's move on and then after the interview he took him aside and he's like don't you ever don't you ever bring up that you know big to me again like he probably got furious with barry norman about like mentioning that he turned down big and uh and so, and huh. that always stayed with me it's like apparently de niro i don't know a lot about it i don't think a lot of people know about his personal life and stuff apparently he's a bit of an enigma but uh a bit of a temper too <laughs> i guess
2: I didn't know he had that
1: kind of a temper. I I never heard anything
0: like that. Hmm, Yeah, I mean, on screen he's such a uh, you know such an easygoing fellow in all the characters he plays. um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why they call it acting, particularly in the scene
1: we're talking about. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) So yeah, let's let's talk about what's going on in in this scene. Let's kind of get back to it. Um, So, uh, Jack Bounty Hunter Jack Walsh, played by Robert De Niro, and uh, a fugitive on the run uh the Duke Mardukas, uh, John Mardukas played by um Charles Groden, pull into Red's corner bar, uh, and the posing as FBI agents. And apparently so this this scene and then the the following scene in the train car, uh a lot of improv that yeah. they just kinda played off each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I kinda I do kinda get that live because yeah. Grodin, is a he is a comedy yeah, actor. yeah, I like, can imagine that. him it, it, <clears throat> It might have been, like, a blessing for him to be like, give me a scene. Just let me do my thing. Like, let me just, you know, let loose a little bit. He's he's dominating proceedings mm-hmm. so much. And much like in the actual scenario where Jack Walsh is kind of, like, you know, picking up his cues and what he's doing, De Niro also kind of feels like, okay, I guess this is what the scene is now and stuff. And he's kind of just do, doing what the, he's picking up what Groden's laying down. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. And I actually didn't know that when I when I picked the scene, I was just looking for kind of something that shows uh, the evolution of their relationship. You know, they they start off uh, completely antagonistic. You know, one's a, a you know a criminal on the run. The other one's a bounty hunter taking him in. But through their, their travels and experiences, they've, uh, you know, a certain relationship is developing. And we see that. They're in a situation where wherever they're going, they you know they need some money to get where they're going, and they have to work together. You know the the two you know kind of the odd couple, the two enemies, um, forced to to align. And you know that. And I was just going by that, but you know what we see in the scene. But then to see like you know the the improv element as actors working together, kind of uh, you know plays into that as well or emphasizes it.
1: So it's here's a question happy. though, for you guys like to see? Because um, I've always assumed that like. Uh, the duke is making up this as he goes along like he goes mm-hmm. in just like okay just follow my lead yeah it was, was kind of curious it's like do you think though that he give jack any kind of prep of like this is what i'm planning to do or is it really just like just just follow my lead like and then so all the stuff with the litmus configuration and stuff like that is it really you know, jack having to be like <laughs> uh, okay and just like he has to make up on the spot a little test to do and stuff or, or- oh yeah
2: a hundred percent on the spot. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. it has got well, more yeah, to that way.
0: Even, yeah. Well, because at one point, doesn't uh, the Duke stop short and like Jack walks into him, like bumps yeah. into him, just <laughs> not paying attention. Like so. I yeah, I think it's just um, yeah, he's just kind of making it up on the spot and hasn't oh, yeah, hasn't given yeah. Jack any uh, you know any warning that you know I'm you know I'm gonna you know we're, I'm gonna talk. You know, obviously can figure out. Oh, he's gonna pretend to be an FBI agent and that's why he needs the badge but in terms of uh, yeah well even and then uh, Jack kind of messes it up you know uh, the Duke says you know are you doing the litmus configuration and Jack says that was the configuration." like he he stumbles over the word
1: configuration (laughs) yeah
0: configuration
1: uh, but the second there, I thought, like, the Laman configuration, I thought he was going to start doing like the, the box and Hellraiser. And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> know, it's come in, it's like, you, you picked up the, it, the counterfeit 20, week aim. And
2: it is funny, of course, you know, you have him playing an FBI agent, but like, he's he's the, you know, crook, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And it's like, alright, here, follow my lead, I'm I'm with the FBI now. Hmm. You know, it's just funny, the little role reversals.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder, well, like, I think- because Jack's been doing... He's been doing the uh, Alonzo FBI agent the whole movie. I wonder if the, one of the reasons that like Duke didn't give him any kind of like lead in as what was going to happen was because if he says I'm going to pretend to be this guy, then Jack might have tried to take over the operation. He'd be like, oh no, I'll right, do it. Just, right. just shut up and like, I'll I'll go and take care of everything. So by like he's just like, no, if I tell you, you'll ruin it. But if I go in and we just wing it, then I because the thing is like you know the Duke is great. To- Fantastic at mm-hmm. impersonating an FBI guy. Um, in fact he, he comes across so convincing right. considering they're the two shabbiest, dusted up, scruffy looking <laughs> <they're> coming in <laughs> pretending to be like legit FBI. They look like they haven't, they haven't shaved in days and stuff, and they're just like, oh yeah, no, no, they they they, <laughs> they pass as FBI agents. Yeah, there's nothing suspicious there at all.
0: Yeah, kind of and again, Duke is like oh go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, like, what the the looks they're getting from the the you know from red and, and the, the the guys in the bar because like you said they have been through a lot they look they're dusty they're dirty they're they've got several days growth of facial hair um but the demeanor you know and i i imagine at this point that duke has been interviewed and uh you know spent a lot of time around the fbi so he's got you know he knows the fbi kind of mm. uh the, the way they act, their deadpan style, the no sense of humor sort of yeah. lines he, of questioning they have.
1: It's either that or is he go, he's going for a real, like, Joe from... I've seen police on TV, so I know that this is the way that domineering detectives act and stuff. But um, I like your idea, though, better, Sean, that he's like, no, he's he himself has been grilled by so many FBI people. He's like, I know, I know exactly <laughs> what all these assholes are And he's are like, he's
2: like a... He's a natural, you know, he's like a huckster, you know, like that's just his character. So mm-hmm. he could, you know, he could go in there and it's, all right, follow my lead, FBI, you know, litmus test. You know, he's just, he's a natural con artist in a
1: way. Yeah. I wonder is he if, a poker like, player, do you think? Everything? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was wondering though, he has he ever, has he seen someone do this litmus test, like trick before? Or is this literally like... No, this is like this will work. Like, because I guess he he is a crafty guy, so he could have entirely come up with this by himself. Yeah. Or it could be like, no, this. I just no from you know working in like you know accounting, I've seen people do like uh, little tricks and stuff before. Scammed by things because I deal with money all the time. But, um, I I, I prefer <laughs> the idea that he is literally like, no, 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 I, I just you know, <laughs> I'm I'm just crafty.
2: Yeah, I think he's. I to me, it reads as he's just
1: crafty. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, because I don't think this is based on anything real, like with a pencil. No. I know that there we have I, – uh, I know in the U.S. there are like special pens that you can like draw a line. And I forget – I don't know if it's – I guess like on a real bill it doesn't show up, but if it's counterfeit, then like the ink is visible. I know they have mm. like those counterfeit pens, but I think that's like a recent thing. I don't think that was something that was actually around. Yeah, that's pretty recent. In, I in the, yeah, so –
1: Think of that, that. That's up to Jack, though. He's the one who figures out, like, oh, I have to pretend to do something. And he comes up with this little thing of, oh, like, yeah. right, pretend to use the eraser on the face and then shade it in again. It's like, oh, that's actually, like, because again, it seems like, <laughs> oh, no, that is, that's a trick. Like, that, that is the thing. That's how you test a counterfeit bill and stuff. Like, a tracks has been a perfect uh, little scam. So, um, I love, the, mm-hmm. too, that that, uh, of the some of the things, though, that um, every everything in Grodin's Delivery, this scene is just amazing, but like, I love the constant, like, I think because he said I'm FBI, he's got this, you know, the popped collar, and like the, the, the coach really up and stuff, and he's really, um he's kind of making himself seem big, and then, uh, like because presumably the patrons of this bar have been up to some shady stuff themselves, so they're all kind of giving him a bit of a, like, is he here for me, <laughs> and that kind <laughs> of attitude, and I love, like, every time he says something to the bartender. He'll look. He'll look at the guy next to him, uh, kind of give him a suspicious little glance, and the guy's kind of playing it cool, but also a bit like, "All right, like have have I done something?" (laughs) Like it just seems so. uh, And even little things that could be, um, like they pay off, but it almost seems like a power move. At one point, when he's talking to Red, He's just mid conversation, he just says, "Like, would you mind taking two steps back?" And Red immediately does so, and it's just like he's doing it so he can open the register, but it seems like he's just telling him to stand back. Like, he's he's got him so in his hand that he can just command this guy to take two steps back for no reason if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, there doesn't really seem to be any purpose other than, like, asserting dominance. Yeah, because, yeah, so Red, the manager, goes to open the register. He's like, nope, you take two steps back, you, the other guy, you open yeah, the register. Yeah. And then, right. Jack, you, you know, pull the, pull the bills out with a napkin so, mm. you know, we'll preserve the fingerprints.
1: Right. <laughs> I even just love, like, the... I'm, I'm assuming it's all down to Groden. Where it's just like, you know, he has the little interaction of like, Oh, uh, you know, are you red? Yep. You dye your hair. Like he just <laughs> <And again>, the <it's, laughs> like, fact it, and it's great on the on like the character level. Like
2: it's like Groden becomes like the FBI, the leader, you know, De Niro, he's a little bit you know, De Niro, the whole movie, he's on top of everything. He's outsmarting everybody. And here he's, you know, a step behind, let's yeah. call it. Yeah. A half a step even, not not even a full step. Yeah, so it's just it's a, it's a good dynamic.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's a bit of genuine curiosity coming across from the Duke as well, saying like, "Are you red? <laughs> yeah, just do you dye your hair? It's like, why are you called red? If you, you got the... um, And it's just uh, at the end of it too, when it, it, everything's done and dusted with him, though, he just has this pause where he just stares at him, and it's just like, "Thank you for your cooperation Like he's just giving the impression that I'm really sizing this guy up, even though it's entirely a scam. And stuff. It's, <laughs> it's so beautifully performed. Presumably, Fred does think there's something up because he thinks to stand at the door to look out for them and stuff. Uh, I could only put it down to the fact that they do look a bit shabby. Because everything else would be like, this would be perfect if they didn't look as if like, they have been traveling across country <laughs> for three days straight without any right. real solid <laughs> means of transportation. Yeah,
0: they, they, they play it perfectly well, but as you said, they don't have... Yeah, they don't quite have have the appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit, I mean this is real quick, just um so Tom McClyster is the actor who plays Red, has has been in a bunch of other things, actually was in one of those TV sequels in uh he was in Midnight Runaround, uh, but playing a different character. Oh my god, uh, it's, good. So it's he's gonna shatter
1: t- the, the midnight run <laughs> universe apart <laughs>
0: Yeah. So <laughs> now it's now it's a multiverse, the, the midnight run multiverse. Um, There you go. That's
1: that's your sequel. It's like Christopher McDonald (laughs) meets De Niro in some sort of quantum. (laughs) The Duke is fleeing across uh, universes now, or something. The Midnight (laughs) Run of
0: Madness. Yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom uh, listeners might also recognize Tom. He was in eighteen episodes of Married with Children Mm. um, as Ike, one of uh, Al Bundy's crew, one of the members of of No Ma'am. Yeah, he's done a few other things. As well as
1: I've only i have not seen married with children in like twenty years, and it's just like I, I can't imagine it stands up any kind of scrutiny now. But I think at the time though it was it was always designed to. So I don't know if that if that renders it like horrifically dated or bulletproof. Like oh, your main character has like a misogynist like a yeah group <laughs> called No Man. It's like. North Americans <laughs> against uh, was it Amazonian masterhood
0: or something like that? Was yeah, men, men against Amazonian masterhood. Um,
1: <laughs> I've 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 seen a few
0: episodes. I don't know. I can't. I mean, it's a yeah. <laughs> go I, go I ahead. can't speak <laughs> to how well it would hold up to like uh, you know a, a millennial or a Gen Z. You know, someone watching it new today, they you know probably wouldn't get it. As someone who enjoyed it, you know, during the first run, I I thought it up. I thought it held up well. And actually, there have been some conversations, so Friends, uh, talking about kind of comparing uh, Friends and Seinfeld Mm. in terms of how well it it held up. I was having a discussion with some Friends, and and like you mentioned, Niall, um, Seinfeld, I think, holds up a lot better. And part of it is, you know, they were... They were supposed to be rotten people. Like yeah, you were, yeah. you were supposed to be laughing at them, not with them, well, the whole time. So they're well. Not to get too far off topic, but we got to do it now. Friends is another thing. I had just recently watched
2: Friends, mm-hmm. also last year. Oh. Never seen it. Um,
0: Did it hold up?
2: I thought it was pretty good. Okay, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm and I love Seinfeld like, and... uh,
1: against Friends as a sitcom. I, I enjoyed it at the time and stuff, but. I think it's just more now. That
2: I mean, it, yeah, it's got like um. No, no, I, I, I married with children. I mean, that, that was a, that, that. He's very funny. Yeah, I, it's probably too offensive for like today's world. Yeah. Um, but he's also. Kind of the butt of the joke, so it's it's I don't know.
1: Yeah.
2: It could go both ways. Yeah, I mean he's he,
0: yeah he's down. He's getting the short end of the stick. I would think he's not punching down. You know what I
2: mean? It's not as though he's you know right. the, the president of the United States in doing this.
0: <laughs> not yet, but <laughs> no. right, um, right. I mean one one thing one aspect of of married children that I think would not not age well is the the treatment of uh, uh, Marcy. Oh, of yeah. the neighbor, mm-hmm. like that's ugh. even then that was that was kind of cringy. But I think like the the, the bulk right. of it, as you said, like he was, they're they're not supposed to be they're not being held up as role models. Like they're supposed to be kind of people we're laughing at, we're looking down on, and then Al being, I mean, the, the bottom. He's a shoe salesman, you know, so kind of being <laughs> right. at the, the 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 bottom of society. He's he's punching up. Mm. As uh, as the kids say these days.
1: One of the things that probably wouldn't make it stand up to scrutiny today, like people will be questioning this guy is a shoe salesman and yet he owns this house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a pretty freaking nice setup. <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah. You can feed like two children stuff. It's like Al Bundy seems to have quite a substantial income going on for a lowly shoe salesman that constantly <laughs> complains about his job. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he's done a few uh, litmus confederation <laughs> <Yeah>. scams himself <laughs> over the years,
0: right? Yeah, that that doesn't exactly uh, figure into things. But uh, so yeah, so uh, our FBI agent uh, Alonzo Mosley and his partner Hank uh, make away with a handful of of counterfeit bills, and I like um, I like the play that De Niro does or the. Um, that Jack Walsh does, where he doesn't take all the 20s. Yeah. Because that might look suspicious. So he's like, you know, it looks like he takes, what, like four or five? You know, he takes like a 100 bucks, saying, oh, these are counterfeit. Um, but this, you know, this $40, these two, these are good. You can keep these.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot and of this guy... Makes scouting, out a little
0: it, receipt.
1: A lot of it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, I guess, though, because, well, for one thing, when they come in and he says, like, he's trying to describe the person who comes in, he's six foot, six foot five, like, dark-haired, not a light... That's our man. Like, Like, it's so, like... That's our man. (laughs) And then, I think, just the idea, though, like, the same person has been going around the state with kind of 20s, and yet, like, the last person who came in might have gave them 120, then why would, like, eight of them be bad? Uh, Be bad. Was the guy coming in in disguise a bunch of times? Like, how would this work?
0: Well, I guess they got lucky that the last person to pay them with 20s isn't still there because I imagine like this seems like a bar that's got (laughs) regulars, like these two gentlemen, you know, Jack and the Duke, like these are the first two people to enter this bar that, you know, wasn't, that weren't immediately recognized in, I would think like it could be months since, you know, the last time they had a stranger enter this establishment. Like I'm guessing this is the same regulars every day and every night um, that they, they they kind of just, they, they, They got lucky that the last person to to give them a 20 is it still in the bar at this point.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering, Uh, I kind of almost want to see a little, like, reaction of what happened after uh, the Duke and Jack leave. Because I wonder if it's Red going like, oh, is he really, oh, my God, I can't believe that we have been scammed. Or is it one of the people in the bar like, you idiot, those guys weren't FBI. got your head up your ass, come on. (laughs) Because for some reason he does think to go over and check. I don't know if he's like, oh, maybe I'll see what the FBI are up to. Or if he's like, that was weird. Where are these guys going? Uh, I just kind of want to see, like, whether... Because Red, Red himself seems very naive. He seems like a bit of a kind of, like, like, an, all oh, shucks. Like, oh, I, I, he use this one and stuff. He, he would believe anything you told him. Uh, whereas, you know, people in the, the bar would probably be a lot sharper. Like, you goddamn idiots. Like, how many... Like,
0: <laughs> that, none of that seems what suspicious to you. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it kind of goes to show how, like, demeanor and body posture... Figure into things because for a while you, you mentioned that for, for a while they seem like other than the shabby clothes and the the, the few days growth of beard and the dirt and everything, they kind of they play the part. Well, they like they seem like FBI agents for a moment mm. there. And then Red's looking out the window of his bar and there are two bums running to hop on a train. <laughs>
1: I mean, they're, right. They're literally right. hoboing
0: around and they don't look like the FBI at all.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll say though like oh, we don't it, know how- even within this film though there's a scene where De Niro is describing FBI guys over the phone to mm-hmm. Joey Pants. and he's just like he kind of describes these decrepit guys who are like constipated for sitting down too long and they got coffee breath. So maybe he's like oh actually no this is what the FBI commonly looks like because these guys have been on a stakeout for like 3 days and so they've just been in the car the whole time. Like that would be their excuse if someone said like you guys look pretty shabby. You know Jack could pop in and like let me set the scene for you. Okay? We've been sitting outside yeah. with a goddamn radio mic hooked up to this bar for a friggin' week <laughs> we're just waiting for something, anything to come. There you go. Yeah. So he's
0: got that explanation.
1: I think maybe I'm just too, like... My idea of the FBI is entirely just, like, Twin Peaks where it's just pristine, <laughs> slick hair in the black suit. Like, they even have, like, at one point, there's as an Asian Cooper, he gets, like, suspended and has to wear like, a checkered shirt for a while. And Miguel Ferrer comes into him and like giving up the quiet elegance of the black suit for these muted earth tones is fashion suicide. So my head is like all FBI should be all black suits <laughs> and slick hair all the time. Whereas like in reality, they probably don't look like that at all, but um, hopefully I never have to yeah. run into one to find out.
0: Hopefully you never know. I mean, I, I think FBI, I think either uh, Mulder and Scully from the X-Files or, um or yafit koto from, from this film
1: yeah i think too, to kinda... be fair fox Mulder pretty slubby as well i guess he actually is a bit of like i can imagine if he said like oh yeah i slept in the, in this suit for three days i'd be like yeah you kind of look like it." Yeah. you know it's, like, it's not all that well put together so <laughs> yeah maybe maybe I this all it's... tracks is like oh, fbi actually are all, they're not all that slick yeah
0: it's all just pr mm-hmm. um so, yeah, so. Was David Lynch doing the heavy lifting for them <laughs> for all those years. <laughs> so, catching, so walking out of like a, lo- a little uh, grocery store or uh, maybe it give like even a gas station, um, just a small little mart with a bag full of groceries. And then I don't know if it's just milk or I mean, actually, I see there's a Circle K logo mm. on a carton that Jack is holding and he's drinking right out of the carton.
1: I mean, classic De Niro because he's got no manners. Well. it's like <laughs> classic the, De Niro. it's a full on mm-hmm. De Niro squint he's doing as he like... yeah I was wondering is it milk oh, yes. or is it orange juice because it seems like milk I, was... I guess maybe if you were in that scenario like any uh... milk seems like an odd... it seems like an odd choice to me to quote another comedy <laughs> <laughs> well
0: I think that's a callback because wasn't he was talking about his ulcer previously
1: oh yeah um, there you go yeah that makes I sense. mean
0: milk seems strange to me just because I'm I don't know I, I i think of milk as like something children drink i don't drink milk as an adult but yeah if he's isn't that like supposedly it, it's like it, it's um it's like la, not acidic it's like low in ph so it's good for um yeah, good for an ulcer yeah yeah so well
1: no i think i never. Uh, I've never I've picked like, up that's actually a really good point that's a, that's, ex- it's, it's, that's exactly what it is yeah
0: yeah well it's a brown carton so maybe it's chocolate milk um which i think <laughs> is <laughs> better i hope I it's chocolate, chocolate milk and my, my I mean, how much do you think they it's, actually it's, it's took? Chocolate milk.
1: <laughs> like, uh, how much do you think they actually took Red's Corner Bar for? Was it like eighty bucks or like hundred and eighty? It's like how many even bills did they get away with? Because is this like what did, what? did you think? I thought it was they a, spend all their money here, or is it like no, oh, no, we they still
0: got. Yeah, I thought it was about a hundred. What did What did you think?
2: Yeah, I don't think it was much. I really don't think it was that much. Yeah, hundred sounds right.
1: Yeah, that could have been the, well. In the, this the type... sequel, the Mid- Midnight Runaround is actually. Like that guy was playing red, coming back for revenge because like, Jack really backdropped the bar by took it took like a grand or something in twenties and left them forty behind, so he wouldn't get suspicious. Yeah.
0: Well, and they've both got like an armful of groceries. They've got like a regular grocery bag full, and usually these small markets don't have the best prices. Like for the cost of, you know, Jack's drinking milk out of the cart, and it's like a one, uh, like a one quart. Carton probably cost as much as a full gallon would at, you know, a regular large grocery store. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe they did spend $100 just on, a, say, so you know, a couple a, armfuls so of groceries. Buy... Yeah, I could see you're that. You're just going
1: for stuff on the road, though. Like, what are they buying? do they buy? you really buy, like, jerky and stuff? You can't really yeah. can buy, like a, like, a carton of eggs or, like, in this scenario. You're going to have to be like, <laughs> well, what's on the road? <laughs> well, where would they
0: cook it? Yeah, it's... Yeah. It is kind of odd that they've got this much stuff unless, like, maybe they got, like, a loaf of bread and, uh, you know, a container of peanut butter. And they're going to make sandwiches and
1: yeah, a box yeah. of donuts. Well, that's uh, the thing. one knows. of the things. It's kind of got, like, Chekhov's grocery bag of just, like, every time I see things in this scenario, you know what leaking or something's going to happen. I don't know if it's because we don't uh, over here. We don't have paper shopping bags. And from what I've seen of American media, it's like, thank God. Like, everything over here is plastic <laughs> bags. But it always seems like, oh, if someone coming in with a big paper, it's like, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Something's going to burst in the bag. Something. If there's an overstuffed paper bag in a in a TV show or a movie, that bag ain't making it back. Like, something's going to happen. And sure enough, here as well, it's like, yeah, Jack <laughs> like, it seems to fall apart as if made of feathers in Jack's hand at one point.
0: Yeah, and everything goes flying as they're, they're running for this train. I'm, and I was wondering, so, like, how do they know which direction this train is going? Like, how do they know that it's heading, it's going to, I mean, maybe it's going west at this particular moment. Yeah, yeah. But, like,
1: it could turn. It's a, it's a risky they, move. They like, trust it's, that it's going to continue. It's, yeah. yeah, it's real. Yeah. You could fall asleep in the back of that and find out you've gone, like, you know, like, 10 hundred miles in the wrong direction or something. Like, it's <laughs> 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 yeah yeah um
0: but, but before we find but it is funny though yeah be, before we find out that that actually was going in the right direction we see we see it you know a, a new a new flip in the uh the relationship they're back to being antagonists so you know for the first like four minutes of this scene they're working together they're a team they're you know they're improving they're going back and forth they're yes ending it's great and all of a sudden um the Duke hops into a boxcar and closes the door, says see you in the next life, he's gonna leave Jack Walsh behind.
2: Mm. Yeah. Can't yeah.
0: It. yeah.
2: But again, it's still so great because that's the, it's still true to their character. Like he wants to get the hell out of there. You know, he, he, he doesn't want to go back with
1: yeah. them. Yes. Yeah.
2: You know, so it's not as though it's like, oh, okay, oh yeah, give me your hand, no, I'm gonna save you. It's like all right, yeah, later.
1: Yeah. I mean you give it like the other points in the movie where like Jack's drowning. Duke saves him, but it's with the real caveat of, like, you're gonna let me go, right? Like, he's, he's you know, he's right, a good dude, right. but he's not, like, above, like, I'm not, you know. He knows, that again, if he gets caught, if he's handed in, he will get killed. So he's uh, entirely justified right. in trying to get rid of Jack, to be honest.
0: Right, he's he's very motivated. Um, and that little bit, that leads to a great little back and forth between the, the two characters and the two actors, um, because, so Jack promises... He says, you know, if you save me, I will let you go. And then, of course, he doesn't let him go. And, you know, the the Duke is hurt. Like, you lied to me, kind of uh, almost forgetting or just ignoring the fact that he lied first about being afraid <laughs> of flying. But but Jack yeah. you didn't you didn't know i had lied. So when you lied, yeah. you thought you lied first.
1: That's a lot of De Niro's, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> like just to see yeah. the brief bit of confusion and then like the outrage of this the actual conversation he's having to have. Uh, I think that's why that the why the sequels couldn't work to this is because like it's not just an idea of like oh Robert De Niro is Bounty Hunter in wacky adventure film lives and dies on the relationship of these yeah. two actors together. The, these two characters. This is the yeah. film. This is the pitch. It's not just like... It's not a sequel no, movie. No, It's like, you know, unless it was about him and the Duke getting reunited. Like, to do it with another person. And, and then every time, it's like, so he has to have this kind of adventure with a rando every time. It just would feel like, no, it just wouldn't work for me. So, um... And of course, I should say it, too, yeah, but you know, Grodin himself, unfortunately, passed away. That was last year or the year before, too, so... Um, any Midnight Run two oh, coming? God. You ain't gonna see the Duke again, which is a you know, great, great tragedy.
0: Yeah, May May twenty twenty one, so a little bit over a year ago. Yeah. So in terms of yeah. of uh, yeah, in terms of sequels, yeah, maybe if they work it out, like the Duke goes into witness protection, and then somehow like his new identity and his new location leaks, and somehow Jack finds out. That, you know, Jack finds out, that Serrano finds out where the Duke is, and so he's got to track him down to try to save him. Um, something mm. like that. But yeah, it's not, yeah, the the, the the movie works not because of the, you know, or not just because of the, the Bounding Honey aspect or the cross country um, kind of chase aspect to it. It is that these two characters uh, getting to know each other and, um, you know, having to spend time together.
1: And yeah. of I mean, course, yeah, once they the... once
0: they know each other, can't yeah. do it anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why like the, the, the again one of the big scenes that stays with me in this film is the ending, because the his actual goodbye to the been through is actually a very moving scene and stuff. And it's just, you know that's it to do with the Elfman score, but again it's mm-hmm. it's everything mm-hmm. these two characters and their entire relationship and the two actors and how much they brought to it that makes that scene pop so well. And it's just like well you want to do it like oh next movie it's the same thing, but this time he's taken. I don't know Kristen Shaw across the you know country or something. It's like uh, come on, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no offense yeah. to Kristen Shaw, I mean, but um, but I could, yeah,
0: I can see that getting old. Just like okay, you know, every you know how many times does this bounty hunter have to take someone across country, and how many times do they turn out <laughs> to be annoying? And then in the end,
1: <laughs> like yeah. a sequel to um, friggin' Plane, Strangers and Automobiles, but like all right, Steve Martin's stuck on a friggin' trip yeah. with John Candy again somehow. <laughs> um we'll say yeah, yeah. Us, i do well, wanna... one of the another great um thing that's showcased in the scene of them jumping on the train is uh of course the score by danny elfman uh which is mm-hmm. it's very different to anything else really particularly in this era because this was like the year before batman was like a year or two after or maybe the same year as beetlejuice and you know, people know yeah, i was gonna danny say elfman it was that. Uh, like.
0: yeah so in also in so in 88 uh Alfman has this Beetlejuice, Big Top Pee-wee, Hot to Trot and Scrooge. Um, hmm. and I I don't recall Hot to Trot. Um I don't know if I've seen that or I, I don't recall that. Oh, the, great movie. I don't recall that the, the music offhand. but in terms of um certainly Beetlejuice and Scrooge and, and Batman in 89 um, very similar. Like if you tell me that was, you know, the the same guy did those three films. Like, yeah, I could kind of guess that. Yeah. This is very different, and it really, it really goes a long way to to making the film to like kind of giving that vibe. Yeah. Of um, I think he must yeah. he
1: had a soft spot for this particular score too because he he used it later on for an Oingo Boingo song. Um, if you look up the song "Try to Believe," I think it's an album they brought out in like 1990. It's the end theme to the Midnight Run with lyrics on top of it. It has nothing to do with, it's not like, you know, oh, Jack Walsh is going out, you know, something like that. It's a, comp- it's a kind of very hopeful, yeah. almost like gospel, religious kind of song in a weird way. Um, but I guess, yeah, because yeah, Elfman himself been like, you know, that was, I really freaking, I really did something with that. Midnight Run score, maybe, maybe because it wasn't a giant hit at the time. He's like, I'm, gonna I'm not wasting it there. I'm bringing it back and putting it on one of my goddamn albums too. Yeah. But, um, it's literally like it's not even re-recorded with the band it's literally the exact same track from the end credits that's what danny elfman singing over the top um and yet yeah, it's an element he like, has got like harmonica going on here there's like kind of tinges of country in it and there's just been mm-hmm. some sort of like broad like it just sounds like yeah real good caper kind of music as well like something you know it's a mad 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 world vibe at times as well and um but the, you know but like. Imagine Danny Elfman been like pose of doing the music for a caper. He would go into like Pee Wee's Big Adventure type kind of stuff. You know, he just go. He went in a completely different direction, and this is like it turned out fantastic as well. So, um, yeah, still, um, yeah, yeah he, he knows what he's doing. That guy, like, so <laughs> that kid's got a future. Yeah, uh, keep an eye on him. Exactly don't forget. Look he's in the the concert footage of him recently too. We had the shirt off. He's like ripped oh, as all hell. He's, he's like, ch- yeah, know he's jacked. He looks great. Yeah, he, look, he looks better than me, and he's um, like twice my age. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> think I've looked like looked that good since maybe I was twenty. Um, but, you know, good. Good for him. Clean living, I guess.
1: Mm. Uh, just the, all the flexing he's been doing of just like here's my Batman theme. Here's my Midnight that run thing. All that flexing. That's how you get yeah. so goddamn ripped. Um.
0: Yeah. So so getting back to, to the film. So the scene wraps up with uh, so the Duke has closed the door, um, you know, kind of closed the door to the boxcar saying scene in the next life. But Jack Walsh has uh, managed to climb up and over and enter through the other side. Mm. Um, well, what does he say? There was one particular line. he's like, I'm not talking to you for the rest of the trip. Oh that's, yeah, and just that <laughs> <line>. <laughs> At first he says though,
2: it must be the next life. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: <laughs> must be the next that's life. So funny, but uh, he says it like yeah. you know, like a like a parent, you know, shouting to the kid who's you know kicking the back of a seat. You know, oh, don't yeah. make me pull this car <laughs> over. Just the way, yeah, the way he says it, like like their friends, like their family, not um, mm. you know, not a bounty hunter. But uh, <laughs> oh, a, I just really, that really that line right. cracks me
1: up. Yeah. Um, you know, well, yeah to and, say too, and, uh, like, um, it's, it's weird yeah. that like this is probably like one of the angriest scenes we ever get with De Niro, because De Niro's played a lot of like psychotics and stuff in his career. He usually is like a slow simmering type. He's always got like a kind of inner intensity. Mm-hmm. Like a taxi driver, he didn't go on like yelling at people or anything. Like him actually probably been like, oh come here! Like, he's probably dragging him over and putting handcuffs on. It's like a tone of voice De Niro doesn't really reach. All that I don't think I've ever seen him roaring at someone like this. In any of his other movies, even when he was, like, friggin' in Cape Fear or something. Like, it's uh it's a weird, bizarrely a new level of intensity for Robert De Niro, just because friggin' Charles Grodin closed a train door on him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, because even, like, a couple of years after this, or well, two years, he's in Goodfellas, and even that character, who is, like, just straight-up murdering people, mm. never loses his temper. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> he looks like... Stop in no. Frank Vincent's face, right. he just looks mildly annoyed as he's doing it the rest of the time. He's just, yeah, pretty smoking and been pretty cool about it, the whole thing, yeah.
0: But, uh, but in this, Charles, and I will say, I am not a fan of Charles Grodin at really? all. Oh, wow! And I'm, I'm, hard, wow. I'm hard pressed to think another film of his or another film that he's in, even in a bit part, that I can even you know stand watching. Hmm. Um, but again, like this is one of my favorite films, he's so good and so perfect. Um, in this part,
1: you, you say that actually I, 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 you know, I was going to step in to defend Charles Groden, but the fair—I don't think I've seen many other films. like, I think of this, Aethoven. Aethoven's yeah. second. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. I remember he played. Um, you know, oh, he's in Clifford. He's great in Clifford. The Big red. Oh, the freaking Martin Short thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, oh. it's a great movie. Um. Trying to begin Although he was though. good, you, he's you, in you, you uh, saying that and then trying to plug Hot to Trot. I don't know, man. I'm getting a bit worried. <laughs> Hot to Trot
0: is that? That's with um, Bobcat Goldthwait, right?
1: Yeah, no, you you know know Bobcat it's Golfway, Not a like great movie, but I remember. So that sounds like something like.
0: No,
2: no, 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 no. It was, uh, but it was always on when I was like homesick from school. Okay. In that, you know, whatever. Yeah. When what did it come out? Like ninety something like that, like nineteen ninety,
1: ninety one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys should do a season of just, like, questionable movies that Brian says is great. So you got Clifford on <laughs> the <taught to try. laughs> No, Clifford, Clifford is a good movie, though. Clifford I will put above those. No, it's not. See, I only learned of um, Clifford a week doing that minute, going through the end credits, and we're, like, going through other people's things. And I came across the poster for Clifford, and I was like, what the hell is this? And then found out that like, oh yeah, people it's, know yeah, this movie. Like, this was a big thing in the '90s. Yeah, the, it's insane. Yeah, the, the movie's insane. The 1994
0: yeah. Clifford with a full-grown adult Martin Short playing <laughs> uh, a Hobbit. Yes. I guess
1: yeah. I well,
0: will say that's an idea. That's something I thought about, and I don't know if it really happens today with with streaming and all the different entertainment options. There was a time. There are certain movies that we like. You know, us old people. Just because, you know, yeah, you'd be home from school or HBO would play it, uh, you know, like Beastmaster that was on every day (laughs) and you watched it because it was on. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, like Beastmaster or Summer School or, you know, or films that like I, I, you know, objectively, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't try to defend as good cinema. But I would just say, like, we saw it so many times you ended up liking it. Yeah. Yeah. and sure, I guess Clifford could could fall into that category. So maybe that's an idea for for future
1: seasons. Oh, so but Martin Short, you know. he's got that thing now. Because speaking of stream streaming, he's got a streaming show, and that's the first time I've ever been able to stand Martin Short and a kind of weird. You're saying you don't oh, like Charles yeah. Gordon outside this movie? Like, oh, I never liked Martin Short outside of uh, Only Murders in the Building. So only murders. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a little bit of connective tissue <laughs> right there. There you go.
0: It's Yeah. All connected. Um. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for, uh, for Midnight yeah. Run. Any, uh, you know, any, any final thoughts
1: on, uh, on, on Charles Grodin, on Robert De Niro, Danny Elfman, on, on anything, anything uh, you want to like, close out with? People want to hear me talking about Danny Elfman. I did it for two whole <laughs> seasons of the show talking about his Batman scores yeah. and stuff, but Oh, he's an absolute genius though. I think we're going to do some, uh, reviews of like some of his albums on, on the Batman at Patreon at some point. Cause he's like, not, we've not had an excuse to talk about him for like you know a couple of years now. So, um, I will say, though, mm-hmm. that's uh one of my, you know, not only one of my favorite films, but one of my all time favorite end lines of a movie is the whole, like, you haven't got changed for a thousand, do Yeah, like, get out of here, you lousy bum. Like, oh, looks like I'm walking. This <laughs> is <laughs> a great, looks movie. like I'm walking. A fantastic note to end on. And in fact, that that music kicking in as well. And it's after such a good touching scene. It's just like, this film, it's just so, so well put together, so well paced as well, just in terms of like how enveloped you get in the whole thing. And, uh, Yeah, it's just, it's just a, people, if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen it, for some reason is listening to this episode, uh, (laughs) you really, really got to do yourself a favor. And I don't think I've ever encountered someone who didn't, like, I've met a lot of people who haven't seen it. Anyone I know Mm -hmm. who has seen it has, like, nothing but praise for it. Like, I put up on Facebook, Mm -hmm. I was watching it the other day, and uh, Neil Brown, of course, you know, mutual friend, and he was just like, perfect film, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with Midnight Run, so. um. yeah. Yeah. I have nothing, any, I have nothing left to say, but good things basically. Yeah. So yeah. On- Midnight
2: run. Great, great movie. No need for a sequel, no need for a universe. They, you know, that's what I'm going to leave with. Do not do anything with this movie. Let it just yes. sit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I agree if it, you know, going through it and try to like, try to pick an individual line or scene and think, you know oh this you know oh, they could have done this would have been a little bit better or they can cut that out and um really nothing See, the, like, uh, yeah you know kind of, of like up early. there' is a perfect film
1: the, the little things I was thinking of in um as watching like even the, these five minutes like there's a bit at the beginning where like you know uh, he convinces Jack to give him you know the, the the badge Jack's like if you mess with me and Groen has it kind of like yeah you'll hit me in the head and dump in a uh, you know whatever you kind of, it, and I feel like in a modern comedy like an Pato thing or something like that. They would have to have they, that, that would have been like five minutes of riffing. They'd have to come up with like elaborate ways he would kill him or whatever. And it would be all improv and yeah. would go on forever. And it wouldn't be funny. Mm-hmm. And like this movie has a restraint of like the line of like, yeah, you'll hit me in the head and dump me in a thing, whatever. Like it's on paper not <laughs> funny. It's just a delivery. And it's the between these two guys, it's the exhaustion between both of them. It almost feels like the Duke. Can- can't bother. Funny line. He's like, you yeah, know, whatever the hell, you know. it's Just like it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So, so speaking of perfect, if our listeners want to hear more of your perfect film analysis and discussions of all things Danny Elfman and otherwise, where where can they find you,
1: Nile? Uh, you can hear me. Uh, we got four whole seasons of Bat Minutes, and uh, is a show where we've analyzed. Batman movies from 1989 up through uh, 1997's Batman and Robin. Uh, we've completed that set now, but we'll still be going on. We've got uh, later this year, we'll be covering Mask of the Phantasm, the uh, the animated film. Uh, but in between that, um, very good. we'll be also me and my co-host John are doing a side project uh, covering the movie Miami Connection. Which is also a uh, perfect classic, brilliant movie. Uh, and <laughs> which is also a movie with music in it. Yes. Oh, the, <laughs> oh it's got music, baby. It's got movie music yeah. up the yin yang. Oh, uh, but that—that that is yet yeah, we've got a pilot episode out for that uh, because it's much more easygoing. It's just gonna be me and John for the most part. Uh, we've you know mm-hmm. release date still pending, but it will be coming soon. But uh, if you're desperate to hear more of me, you got whole four whole seasons of Batman just sitting right there. So. Uh, that's like a hundred. It must be like I don't know how many. 120 episodes a season. It's 480 yeah. minutes or something. <laughs> that's, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a Crazy amount of uh, crazy <laughs> amount of uh, content right there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah. A of lot of that's great all content. Needed, uh, I would encourage people. You
1: know. Yeah. But it's also it's uh, you know look up on all your podcatchers batman it, and it's on Twitter under batman it and I'm terrible at doing the plugs, but like if you Google batman we'll come up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you Google Batman it, um, and they're on Patreon uh, under Sleepy Charlie Media. Uh, if you're st- I'm still holding up for that Coolio cameo, so uh, you know every little bit helps. Um, and you can find us we're uh, nextscenepod.com on the web, at uh, nextscenepod on social media. We've got our Jelly of the Month Club, is our Facebook group. Um, so thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time for the next
1: scene. See you in the next life, guys. See you in the next life. <laughs>
2: You wouldn't have change of a thousand, would
0: you? What are you, a comedian? Get out of here, you bum.
2: Looks like I'm walking.